2: What's the hold up? Do you need me to spell it out for you? It's G-E-I-C-O.com. That's where you save money. Geico.com. Do you love wrestling podcasts but hate all the ads? Well, you can get all the great podcasts early and ad-free at adfreeshows.com. It only starts at 9 bucks a month, but you get exclusive series at adfreeshows.com like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and tons more, and a chance to interact with your favorite podcast hosts every month. See for yourself why thousands of other wrestling fans say adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. adfreeshows.com
1: Podcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code ARN at checkout. Just pay five dollars shipping. Hello and welcome to ARN. This is Paul Bromwell, and today I'm joined by the Hall of Famer, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the creator of the Spinebuster, Buster, one of the best tag team wrestlers to ever step inside the squared circle, and the man who didn't say the word no during his storied career. He's the enforcer, he's double he's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you this week?
3: Fantastic. I'm excited about this episode because the landscape of the wrestling business is fixing to change drastically.
1: You're absolutely right, Arn. And as I was doing my research for this show, uh, I thought, you know what? What, This is a perfect opportunity to use some of what Conrad did. And for those of you that are not on ad-free shows, we're going to share with you some clips from his interview with uh, the late Jim Crockett. That will help best tell the story, and we'll get some reaction from Arn about why and how the transition out of Crockett for Arn and Tully, what that looked like. Um, so, Arn, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to this one today. So am I. Let's do it. So last week, we talked about the ending of the grueling Great American Bash Tour and the beginning of what could have been the most significant programs in wrestling history. And that, sir, is no bullshit. It's the number one and number two tag teams of the era era, and arguably ever. Think about it. The Horsemen and the Midnight Express. Uh, There's still tag teams. I know Dax Harwood, others, that talk about the Midnights and you and Tully all these years later as being big-time influences on wrestling uh, performers today. What does that mean to you as far as hearing that some of those guys talk about what you and Tully and the Midnights meant to them?
3: <clears throat> well, when you're as good as FTR and you get a compliment, number one, you know they mean it. You know, they're not just pulling your leg, and they are so good. You know, I think they're as good as any team of any era. Uh, they're just that good. They're incredible. And they happen to be good friends of mine, but, but still, it's, uh, you know, they did. They, they copied Tully and I, and, and that's a for us, or for me anyway, certainly for me. I was very proud that they did emulate us.
1: They emulated you, they have that Midnight Express style music, and uh, you could have plugged them right into that era, and they would have fit perfectly uh, amongst all the, you know those teams. So today, we're going to discuss the end of the line as you and Tully left Crockett and headed uh, to the World Wrestling Federation. And before we run through your last 10 days in Jim Crockett promotions, because that's what happened here, September of 88, I think it's crucial to address the state of Crockett to put this conversation in the proper context. So you and Conrad had discussed your departure from the company on the second episode of this show, which is available in the archives, wherever you find your podcast. But since that time, new information, including Jim Crockett's interview as part of the conversation with Conrad series has shed some new light on the circumstances that led to the collapse uh, of Crockett. And we're going to play those clips, as I said at the beginning. And from the interviews, I know we have folks listening today that may have never heard that interview. And Arne, I know you can agree, special programs like this one are at top of the list of reasons uh, why it pays to be a member at ad-free shows. Am I right?
3: Yeah, you get, you know, really important stuff that may have been, uh, you know, not out there. Because there was no social media, there was not, you know. Every time somebody said something, it it was all over social media. You know, there was some stuff that was behind the scenes and uh, underneath the covers, and uh, it would uh, finally come to air, and you would go, "Oh God, well, now? I'll see why that happened or that didn't happen or whatever." It's, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I think you'll see some of the value of that as we go through this. And for those that are ad-free show members, you're actually going to see some video. We have a rare video that we're going to play, a video clip towards the end of the show, a bootleg video uh, that you're going to see here as well of that famous match in Philadelphia, the last match for uh, Arn and Tully together there. Uh, But I want to pause here because there's an important announcement that I want to talk about, and that is that no one close to you should ever have to endure the dreaded knock on the door. That knock that comes from a police officer who must tell your loved one that you were killed in a car crash. It's a message that gets even worse when they learn that your death may have been prevented if you had only been wearing your seatbelt. The simple fact is, regardless of what type of vehicle you ride in, the seatbelt use is the single most effective way to stay alive in a car crash. That's why the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is spreading the word We want to raise the profile of seatbelt safety so we can save lives. So whether you're going on a cross-country trip or just up the street, please buckle up. And remember, Click It or Ticket, brought to you by NHTSA. So here we go. I want to take this story back on to uh, Starcade 1987, where it really starts to begin. We have a series of events that culminated for you and Tully on September 10th of 1988 in Philadelphia. And as a reminder, this is when Vince created Survivor Series to compete directly against Starcade, which was moved to Chicago that year, as opposed to running Greensboro or even Atlanta. And as a result, Crockett moved Starcade to the afternoon show. The power play by Vince that is threatening to withhold WrestleMania 4 from the pay-per-view providers resulted in Crockett only getting 20,000 pay-per-view buys. Let me say that again. They only got 20,000 pay-per-view buys. Their Survivor Series, 300,000. So uh, this first clip I'm going to play on, Mr. Crockett shared his recollection of that event that led to the downfall of his company. And uh, so here we go. Here's the interview with Conrad, and I want to play this and then get your reaction. Let's check it out.
2: Uh, Let's get back to Starcade. This is Vince McMahon's Death Blow, where... Uh supposedly he takes great offense to you trying to venture into pay-per-view, which he feels like he's king of now on the heels yeah. of WrestleMania 3. It's a relatively new concept, and he's going to try to counter-program you and create Survivor Series as his secondary pay-per-view, and his original plan is to go head-to-head with your event, and you move to the afternoon trying to acquiesce. Certain cable systems want to present a joint offering where you could get both shows. He has no interest in that. And in fact, tells those cable systems, if you carry his event, you can't have WrestleMania 4. And a lot of them uh, agree to that. So you had big, grandiose plans. You've now got control of Watts territory. You've created this big syndicated network. We've got contracts that have balloon payments coming due. Here's our big holy grail payoff, Starcade 87. But Vince McMahon sabotages you. Yeah. And you only wind up pulling in around twenty thousand buys. Uh, the show starts at five o'clock in the afternoon. It's priced at fourteen ninety five. By comparison, Survivor Series, the very first one, sold over three hundred thousand pay per views because of Vince's power play with the cable systems. Yep. Um do you recall what your original expectations for Starrcade eighty seven were?
0: A lot more than
2: $20,000. I mean, you are having some financial issues within the business, some cash flow issues. You know you've got these big lump sums coming due. You had and to I, have a forecast. I don't,
0: I don't remember the, the numbers, but they, they were big numbers and didn't come close. And it's like, you know, sailing. Somebody just pulled the wind out of the sails and you're dead in the water.
2: I saw an interview with your brother where he said, when you guys got to the building in Chicago and he didn't like the building in Chicago. No. But when you got there, he could tell you were done. You had given up. I don't remember what it was about that day. Do you recall?
0: No, I, but I, I think he's right. I think, you know, it just, the, the handwriting on the wall, I finally said it's there.
1: All right, so I have a follow-up question to that. Handwriting is on the wall. You've previously stated that Jim Crockett was aloof from most of the boys. He maintained a special relationship with Flair and Dusty based on what they meant to the promotion. But for you personally, did you see a burnout in management as early as Chicago of 87, or was this something that would have ever crossed your mind?
3: Well, there, was, <clears throat> there were some payoffs on previous big shows that we weren't paid what we were supposed to be uh the the big one was uh I was called in the bathroom by Jimmy Crockett and he said we've got this big pay-per-view coming up he said you guys have really worked hard you're you're one of my guys that I depend on you've done a hell of a job I want to pay you 25 grand for this upcoming pay-per-view I think it was the very first one okay and uh When I got paid, it was not nearly that. It was, I want to say, and I've told it on different uh, podcasts, I want to say it was like, what, 12?
1: Yeah, 11,700 was what I have in my notes.
3: Yep. So it wasn't even half. And, uh, you know, when, when we talked to him about it, he just went, well, you know, Aaron, I got a lot of bills and, you know, a lot of things I got to juggle right now. We're, we're kind of in a pinch. I'll make it up to you. Well, I didn't go to him and say, "What are you going to pay me?" He came to me and said, "This is what I'm going to pay me, pay you, right out of the blue." So when it's less than half of that, where's your confidence? You know, it's like just don't tell me. If he had never said a word about what he was going to pay. And that's what I would have gotten. I'd have been very happy with that. That's a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money for a day's work in that particular time. But he, he came to me and, you know, he said, this is what it's going to be. And then when it wasn't, man, it's just it just hits you in the stomach. And we were hearing rumors. It was either one of two things are going to go down. Either TBS or Turner's going to buy the company or, the, or we're going to go bankrupt. Well, when you hear that and you're a top player and you see that the other guy, Vince McMahon, is assembling an all-star team and he's getting every top guy from every territory to come there, you start going, hey, am I going to be the last guy without a life jacket? You know, if, if we, you know, if Turner doesn't buy the company and we go bankrupt, there's going to be a whole crew of guys sitting here very vulnerable. So that was something to consider, um, as far as we were concerned. Also, the Turner people had called in some of the top talent and and asked them what they thought about the way the company was run in general and things of that nature. And Tully was one of those guys. And Tully, being Tully, he told what he thought to be the truth.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, there's sometimes you don't just have to tell the exact truth. Sometimes you can dance around the truth and and do you know what you think might be best for not only you but but for everybody around you and when he said what he said and that was a private conversation um, wasn't received very well which means totally got taken off the private plane
1: Well, and we're going to dig into all that. I got all. We're going to go layer deep in all that conversation because this is all. This is the whole story of why you guys finally made the decision to go.
3: Well, there was a there was a boulder tumbling downhill, and we'll go ahead and talk about it as you've got it laid out. But there was just it wasn't a single event; it was
1: several events. Multiple. Yep. Yep. And, and and I guess too, just kind of getting back to the to the to Jim Crockett and David saying we knew as far back as Starcade '87 that our goose was cooked, for lack of a better word. Could you kind of feel that from them? Did you kind of feel that from the leader your leadership team that they already kind of thought defeated and discouraged by the WWF?
3: Well, no, because I didn't. I wasn't privy to those conversations. Okay. okay. that was a family conversation and a booker conversation that might have included jj that
1: didn't share that it wasn't trickling down to you guys no we
3: were we were we were still making money you know and let me and let me preface this before we go any further you know i went to jim crocker promotions and i was just a few years in the business and for the three years I was there, I made more money than I could possibly have ever dreamed, you know, that I would make. And more than I was worth out in the real world, that's for sure. So I had three really, really good years, 85, 86, 87. You know, I was able to to buy a home, buy a couple of vehicles, furnish that home, uh, take care of my family, you know, I went from zero to having some things, and just really a three year period, and I'm grateful to the Crocketts and the Crockett family and Dusty being the Booker, you know, and using me for all that time. I'm not an ingrate yeah, don't don't think I am. Uh, I'm, I was very thankful for everything that happened during those three years. I just wish it would have
1: ended better. Arn, we talked about the burnout and management around this time. Speaking of burnout, when your car starts giving you problems, there's only one place to find the parts you need, and that will save you money, and that's rockauto.com. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that you can then use for other important things, like Arn Anderson meet and greets, Arn Anderson action figures, and Arn Anderson t-shirts. So why would you choose to spend 30, 50, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car uh, dealership? rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. That's right, brand new carpet for your car. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices You prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do it yourselfers. So, why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Arn in their how did you hear about us box so they know the founding father of the four horsemen sent you so Arn uh, we were just talking about this and you mentioned it the Jim Crockett promise of twenty five thousand dollars for that pay-per-view payoff you said and we talked about it, you received less than half eleven thousand seven hundred based on the interview with Mr. Crockett it seemed that this promise was actually for Starcade not the bunkhouse stampede Um, as we had talked about and has been talked about in previous episodes. But Conrad pressed Jim Crockett on this, and I have the clip here that I want to play for you, so let's take a listen.
2: But Art Anderson recently has told the story about how he was upset with the payoffs, and he came to you and expressed some of those concerns, and supposedly you said, hey, I know that we haven't hit all the numbers we needed to this year or we hope to. Stick with me. Starcade's gonna be where we'll finally make some money. I'm gonna pay you guys $25,000 a piece for that match. When they get their payoff in early 88, it's for twelve five with no conversation. And I understand from the outside looking in as a business person, well, gosh, you got a 10th or of what you thought you were gonna get on pay-per-view. Uh, we're probably, you were probably scraping just to get the twelve five together. Yes. Um, but Arne says he never had a conversation with you about that. And had no. you sat down and said, Arn, that was my best intention, but here's what happened with Vince. We're going to keep, we're going to keep going with this thing. I'll make it up to you on the next one. And because there's no conversation, his feelings are hurt.
0: Uh, I'm sure his feelings were hurt, but I did not go back and say, Hey, I failed on this side. So therefore I can't do this. I should have in hindsight. but
2: You know, we're going to talk eventually about how Arn and Tully would jump in 88. But when I really pressed him on that issue, what if he would have come, he being you, would have came to him and said, hey, that was my intention, but I couldn't do it, and here's why, and explained everything that went in to Vince sabotaging the pay-per-view, that he would have stuck with you. Was it at the time you didn't feel like you could sort of show that vulnerability with the talent? Because you don't want everyone to leave, right? No. And if they start to hear, well, we can't make payoffs, now it feels like... Well, well what, I
0: yeah, once you do that, it's like you know the rats are going to jump the
2: ship. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a run on the bank, so to speak. They're all gone.
1: Arn, what's your reaction to that?
3: Well, <clears throat> I never had a, a strong relationship with Jimmy. But you know, I never had a crossword with him, really, either. It was just a couple of instances on, like, like, you know, business-related that I felt like I could ask him man-to-man. It hurts me to see him in the shape he is in when he's doing this. This interview, yeah. Yeah, he's a beaten man. When he's going back, you can tell he's reliving it.
1: He has nothing. Yeah, he doesn't know what to say, kind, you know.
3: You know, there's, yeah, there's, I mean, what do you say? Yeah. Um, I would have stayed with him as far as as I go if we would have had that conversation and he would have told me, hey, you know, Arne, this is what happened. I'm sorry, I know you, I told you I was going to, you know, pay you this, but it's just, hey, I'm just hanging by fingernails, you know. But he didn't... Is it's it? Like, a, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's just you get it, and you see it, and you're waiting on a conversation, and one never comes. And then you start to see things like on the next TVs, which I'm sure we're going to talk about here in a little bit, you start to see things happening that would have never happened before. Yeah. So it's like, man, this is strange. What have I done to deserve this? I've done nothing but work my ass off. Whatever they said, like you said, couldn't say no. I never knew you could say no in this business. Whatever you asked, I'm going to get it done the best I can for you. Uh, But there were guys that at the right time did say no, and it benefited their career because the office knew they couldn't just steamroll them, run them over, treat them any way they wanted. And it was guys that were in a similar position that I was in. I just don't think we were viewed as critical.
1: Hindsight being what it is, do you look back at this? We're showing some of these clips now and say, if I could have done it over, I, would have, I myself would have been maybe a little bit more proactive and gone and talked to Jimmy. Or was that just a different era and that's just how you were supposed to act back then?
3: Well, I didn't know you could go have a conversation like that. I okay. was there. I was paid to do a job do it the best I could, you know, uh, and that's it. Okay.
1: So we also know from what you and Jim and David Crockett and even Tully have said previously, this is, this was also about the same time, uh, with issues with creative and you kind of alluded to it just about a minute ago. So the week after Starcade, Dusty made Luger the baby face. Uh, with a turn coming as part of the Bunkhouse Stampede matches. Rather than booking Luger to win, Luger eliminated you and Tully to keep that program alive following the breakup with the Horsemen. Dusty, for his part, goes on to win this for the third time. And Tony Schiavone has told a story on what happened when, that after that show, Tully declared, why doesn't Dusty book Dusty so that he can beat Dusty? So in defense of the horsemen, you guys are the hottest act in the company that can work a program with anyone up and down the card. We know Tully was a little bit more political, and you were not. But did it ever concern you, Arn, that Tully battled the office knowing that he was your tag partner?
3: Did it concern me? Did it concern
1: you being attached to Tully that he was a a political kind of speaking his mind lightning rod as you were his partner?
3: It did a little bit because, I mean, but now we were a team, and that was a work. But it wasn't a work because we really were a team. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were company men. When I knew that he had went to the Turner people and said what he thought, even though technically could have been true, that's not the time or the place to say it. You know, it would have been... If you ask, if I would have been one of those guys that met with him, it would have been, "Hey, we got a strong crew. We got a hell of a work ethic. We know how to run a wrestling event, and we know how to build momentum." Look at the houses right now. Look, look let's take a look at the Midnight Express numbers. You know, that's what I was hanging my hat on, man. We we had flamed up, but I guess the debt. Was absorbing, was absorbing. Excuse me, all the newfound revenue we were getting on that match, it was going to back debt. That's right. I mean, that's what you figure out later. Because I went, God Almighty, how is it, how are we in trouble when we're doing thirteen thousand here and thirteen thousand the next night? How can we possibly be in debt? Well, buying uh, Bill Watts territory.
1: And we're going to get into some of that debt, too, in addition to the Bill Watts territory. So we move on from the bunkhouse stampede. I want to keep this going chronologically here. In the spring, you find out that that payoff you were promised, uh, you told your wife about it, was less than half because of the failure of Starrcade 87 on the pay-per-view. Chronologically, this is about also the time the horseman added Barry Windham to the mix. And I want to pause here because we talked about how well Barry fit into the horseman in May of 88, and you indicated you were excited because Barry was new and fresh. Do you think that excitement helps subdue the heartburn and keep you from telling Crockett to pound sand right then and there about the payoff promised to you?
3: I just, it was such a good fit. I felt like everything was new. Now, in the history of the business, there have always been guys who were in a particular match that were positioned to have a bigger payoff than what they should have gotten. It's always happened. Guys have been getting screwed on payoffs since the beginning of time. And then there were those some matches. You would have a small house, but you only had one single main event. And all of a sudden, you got twice what you thought you were going to get. That's just the nature of the business. You know, it really is.
1: But at least with all this kind of going on, to the point earlier, it seems like you know, you got Barry Wyndham joining the Horsemen. You guys are having more fun than ever, at least on camera, at least to us as fans. The Horsemen are clicking. They're riding high. You're wearing the tag team title belts, and and things seem to be going well. So as much as kind of the, the, the pain, the heartache, the heartburn, as I said, of you not being paid what you should and that going right, it's got to feel good as far as how you're at least positioned uh, in the company and things are working there.
3: I was looking for it a four- to six-month run with the Midnight Express.
1: There you go. To,
3: to be able to get to all of the markets that we had that, we, that would be waiting on that match, it was going to take four to six months, and that was going to be money.
1: Absolutely. So after Barry joins the horsemen, all five of you ran 45-plus days. We've talked about it, the Great American Bash Tour 88. This tour was held in cities all across the country, um, but there was a lot of travel possibly by the private planes, yes, planes, because by this time, Crockett owned two two of them in order to deliver the advertised shows. Unknown to everyone outside the Crockett inner circle, these planes cost so much money that the company started using David Crockett's diner's club car to float the bills, despite sellout after sellout in the arena every single night as we mentioned arn were you ever made aware did you ever discover that the company was hemorrhaging cash like this
3: no god no that was kept in a golden circle i would think family maybe dusty knew about it maybe not i don't know but certainly it was kept within you know operating costs i knew i did hear this just and i think it might have been one of the Pilots and we got to be good friends. Freddie Floyd, Pat Jordan were the two, you know, pilots of the jet, and that's normally where we were on. It was the 10 seat jet. And he said back then, I just remember him saying, Hey, it, this thing costs 4,500 bucks an hour to operate.
1: Wow. Yeah.
3: Okay, so let's say it's three hours away. Do the math 13.5 for the yeah. jet before you pay any payoffs or any if there's anything else involved you know what i mean yeah before you you got to get all that out of the way before anybody gets paid so
1: my goodness and they got two of them two two of them going so at this point so double it and uh man it's it's no wonder what was going on here
3: well and the gulf stream wasn't you know it wasn't as nearly as because it was a uh, prop plane it wasn't but okay. it was a big prop plane it wasn't nearly as expensive to operate and if we would have just bought that one plane and stuck with it and your top 16 guys got on that plane and, and hey there was going to need to be some guys flying coach but you couldn't do that if you're booking all over the place so there were some, you know, the, the choices of the towns and skipping around. That's two planes hopping around to those towns.
1: Well, Arne, here we are. It is September 1st. I wanted to make sure that we kind of colored in some of the backstory of where your head is, kind of what's going on behind the scenes that brings us to this September. And the Horsemen and the Midnight Express continue the feud that kicked off some three weeks earlier. You were hoping for five to six months. We're definitely not going to get that, unfortunately, with you guys. But you're in Raleigh. It's September 1st. You and Tully fought the Midnight Express to a no contest. And Arne, I'm sure that both you and Tully would have preferred to go over that night as opposed to ending yet another match in a no contest. And fellas, if you're looking to go over in the bedroom, you don't need Jim Cornette's tennis racket or one half of the most dangerous loafers in wrestling owned by J.J. Dillon. Nope. All you need Is Blue Chew. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. And guys, confidence can take you far in life. It can help in the bedroom, especially when it comes to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Isn't that right, Arn? You can never
3: make light of being a hoss in the bedroom. And whether you're young or older, those Blue Chews,
1: my friend, will kickstart anybody. They'll kickstart anybody, and they'll kickstart anybody any day, any time, any night. It doesn't matter if it's the morning, lunchtime, or nighttime. You can plan ahead so that you're ready whenever that opportunity arises. The process is simple. You can sign up at BlueChew.com. You can consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, Bingo, bango, bongo. You're going to receive that prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. No visits to the doctor's office. No awkward conversations. Weird eye exchanges. No waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. So there's always important to make a great first impression, and Blue Chew can help with that. So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew is there for you. And we got a special deal for our listeners. You can try it for free when you use our promo code ARN at checkout. Just those three letters will get it done. You'll pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code ARN, to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. Arn, uh, we, we go one on. Second. Yes, sir. Sure.
3: Let me just a little food for thought. Uh-oh. That can have more than one connotation right there, pal.
1: Armed Anderson. I love it. That, uh, that's all you need to know when it comes to BlueChew. So be armed like Arn Anderson. Check. so, Arn, we move on. It's September 2nd, and Crockett is back recording television from Norfolk. And once again, the Midnight Express wrestled the horseman in a no disqualification match. This time, the horseman came out on top with the assist from Wyndham. And then you travel up the road on September 3rd from Baltimore, Maryland. Beautiful Baltimore, Maryland there, the Inner Harbor. It's the semi main event of the evening. And you're not kidding. We've talked about how many fans. You got 11,000 fans watching the Midnight Express and Horseman fight to a double disqualification. You pack your bags, you maybe get a little rest, you maybe get some food, and now you're in Detroit on the 4th, the very next day. You have 7,500 fans there in Detroit. They're treated to the same match, same outcome. And Arn, guess what? You're going cross country, sir, because the West Coast wants it as well. They want the action. It's the 5th of the month, and you're in Seattle. So you just talked about it on last week's episode. You're crossing time zones on back-to-back days, and you would lose a steel cage match to Luger, Nikita, and the Road Warriors. And uh, we haven't talked much about Seattle. We mentioned it last week. Uh, was this match on the card to give the fans the best, you think, of what Jim Crockett had to offer at this point?
3: Well, we have been there roughly a month earlier, right?
1: Yes, you had. That's just too soon. Yeah. That's a mis-
3: that's a mistake. There's no way to paint that as being a smart move. You just don't go back that quickly. You just don't.
1: Warren, well, between this show in Seattle and the show in Houston that we're about to discuss, the significance of the whole private plane uh, discussion becomes extremely important to this month to this uh, month's story, because this is when the upper management of Crockett kicked Tully off the plane. Uh, you said time and time again that the private plans were critical to making towns. The horsemen are on the marquee everywhere they go. Uh, they were everywhere they go. And there's no better shit talking ass strutting heel than Tully Blanchard. He was the flashpoint for much of what we saw on television from 85 to 88 Tully Blanchard enterprises, the introduction of baby doll, subsequently JJ mega feuds with Magnum dusty, the road warriors and others. And of course the formation of the horsemen and still Management kicked Blanchard off the plane. Tully has stated that he was asked direct questions by Turner representatives who were doing due diligence for the pending acquisition of JCP. You had mentioned it at the top of the show. What Tully said got back to the upper management, and David Crockett told him he was off the plane. Arn, I spent the time laying this out because I want you to spin some reality for one minute and answer this question. How in the hell could it possibly work? If you're flying in the private plane, Tully's flying commercial, and you have a double shot in back-to-back days in four different cities in four different states, what did that even look like back then?
3: Uh, was Tully on all of those shots?
1: He after after this event, he would it would still be teaming with you, tagging with you, uh, and still expected to work two du- two double shots back to back. That's correct. Do you remember uh, anything about what his travel looked like back then? I know this is a long time ago.
3: No, I don't even know how he could have kept pulled, up out it. pulled it yeah. off.
1: Yeah. But that's just something as I was going through this. I'm like, how in the world would Tully? I know this was a short time because you guys are about to hit the, hit the bricks, but still interesting to think about because he's gone. He's no longer on the plane. Anything that you want to uh, talk about? Actually, let's do this. Conrad asked Jim Crockett about what transpired on the plane. And we do have that piece of audio, so let me play it for you. And then, uh, I do have some questions for you, so let's check this out. Let's hear what J- Jimmy Crockett had to say.
2: Okay. The, uh, the rumor in innuendo is that a lot of the Turner folks were wanting to do some due diligence on the deal. And part of that involved talking to talent. Yep. Supposedly you gave Tully Blanchard the heads up to talk to him and to be truthful, but then allegedly you were upset at some of the things he said and you let him know that he was off the jet. And Tully tells it that he wanted to quit right there on the spot. So that night, he and Arne called their old pal Barry Darso and arranged a meeting with Vince the next day at his house. And then they returned to Philly that afternoon and gave notice. What do you remember about the falling out with Tully?
0: I don't remember any conversation about telling him to say anything to the Turner people at all. Internal people went behind my back in most cases to talk to the talent without my knowing that they were talking to Rick Dusty, whoever. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, the fact that you know he set up a meeting with Vince, and I think Tully just saw that was tired of the dusty roads and finished quote unquote and uh, jumped ship.
2: Were you, were you surprised they gave notice?
0: Not really, because, I mean, the the rumor was out that we were selling, therefore there's going to be a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. Who's saying who's doing what? Dusty probably positioned that he was going to be the King B. Rick was probably positioned that he was going to be the King B and everybody else is wondering, where does that leave me? Right. So I don't know. And Vince says he'll do this. I'm leaving. Hmm.
1: All right, so let's dig into that a little bit. He There was no denial about throwing Tully off the plane, but Arn, after listening to Jim's response, do you believe that Turner spoke to people without his knowledge?
3: Nope. I don't believe that. Yeah. I believe to To have full disclosure for that for the Turner people to not be suspicious of anything, they had to have had there had to be a conversation that between Jimmy and them, and Jimmy and the talent. If Jimmy didn't tell the talent, "Hey, to be truthful," then somebody would have slipped up, and and the Turner people would have saw through it. I think. I think everyone had to be on board with that conversation. They just had to be. But I think they were planning, they being Jimmy, on the guys either being smart enough or whatever you want to call it or deceptive enough to or just tell the truth. If they would have asked me, I would have said, hey, guys, we just did two two houses, 13,000 back to back. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would have just told the truth. Hey, business is good. We, you know, we have a strong, like I said earlier, work ethic. We have a strong crew. We have a really good crew of guys. And uh, th- things are picking up. Things are firing up again. And uh, you're going to be buying a, a, product, a product that you're going to be glad you did.
1: One, of the, one last piece of business on this topic. It's been speculated, asserted, declared that there were key players, including Rick and Dusty, that Turner wanted to lock down as part of the acquisition. For the members of our audience that don't know, how many Turner executives approached you and Tully about the buyout, the future, or anything in general? Do you remember?
3: None approached me.
1: None? Okay.
3: Yeah, I didn't have a conversation with anybody. Tully did. Um, and I don't know why that was, but if they, I was – happy with that they didn't ask me now there's a pivotal point where tully had probably already decided he when he got took off the plane that he was leaving anyway yeah the houston show which is a tv taping correct yes the night before we turned in our notice the next night uh do you have any notes on that? I do. Because,
1: I do. We're, we're coming down to that next. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's, that's the straw that's that the brought key. the camels back. That's yes, sir. the one.
3: That's the biggie. So.
1: Yep. So, I, I guess it's safe to say here though, there was a lot of uncertainty at this point and it was paired with a souring relationship between you and telly and JCP's management at this point. Right.
3: I was back at other than having my own gripes, my own individual gripes. Um, which I did, I was still going to back up my partner. If he yeah. was leaving, I was going to leave with him because that's how tight we were, you know?
1: Gotcha. So September 7th is here. It's the third clash of champions and it takes place from Albany, Georgia. And the main event of the show was sting versus Barry Windham. Arn, you Tully and Rick were not even on that show. The company is going through so much turmoil at this point, but the administration left three of the most important wrestlers off the card. What, what are your thoughts as you kind of think about that now? You're not even on Clash of the Champions 3, the three of you. How
3: does that even happen? How does
1: that even happen exactly? I
3: can't, I can't reason as to why that made sense in somebody's head. All I can tell you, how does that even happen? Mm. Because it's
1: so far-fetched. Speaking of poor planning and preparation for a major event here on Jim Crockett Promotions Part, where they're leaving major players off the show, it resulted in a less than optimal uh, optimal outcome for the company. No one wants to get knocked on their ass by life's hardest hits. So it's time for us to talk again about Goliath Life Insurance. Think about insurance for a second. We all got medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com, and I mean right now. Listen, I've lost two friends in their 40s in the last year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to GoliathLife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. GoliathLife.com streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes from more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliathlife.com makes buying life insurance simple. There are no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliathlife.com is life insurance in your hands, on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at Goliathlife.com. Arn, this is it. We need to speak about it. It is September 9th at the Sam Houston Coliseum. 3,000 people watched you and Tully fight the Midnight Express to do a double DQ in a match second from the top. Now, as you've shared on the second episode of the show, what follows became the tipping point. You just alluded to it as we talked. You and Tully, you tear the house down with the Midnights. Following the match, you were told you were going to wrestle UWF Stallworth, Dr. Death, and you were to lose in four minutes. Now, on you're on record putting Doc over talent, strength, and ability, summing it all up that he was all man. But if I have this correct, you and Tully burned the house down with Stan and Bobby only for you to go out and get beaten up by the doctor. Is that correct?
3: Yep. And it had nothing to do with Doc. It just had to do with the fact that we gave the Midnight Express what the audience had paid to see. And that's the match that sold the tickets all over the country. Just look at the numbers. We went out and we fought those guys tooth and nail. And we got that angle and that match over. To me, to turn around and go out and get beat, a few matches later, I didn't ask why. It wasn't my reason to ask why, but it tipped me over the top. It just made no sense, and it shit all over the Midnight Express. We had just fought those guys for 20-some minutes, dead even, and now a guy just comes out, and basically it was just an enhancement match.
1: So to be clear for you, after a tumultuous year, you're finally done. Arn, tell our, our listeners the thought process on how the call to Barry Darso and subsequently Vince McMahon went down.
3: Uh, basically, we totally, I guess, would have taken a commercial flight to Philly that morning. But but when I came back, he said, "Man, this is, I just remember." He said, "This is bullshit." It was like I was I should have been the one fussing at him about what just happened, but he was fussing at me. He said, "Man, this is bullshit. This is just getting worse and making no sense." He said, "Let's get out of here." So I said, "Okay." Uh, when I get to Philly, I'll call Barry D'Arso. And uh, we'll see what's going on. Barry had sent me, during the course of the time he first started there, uh, in the course of probably a year and a half, two years, he had sent me a couple of messages. Vince would really like to have you guys. If you ever decide you want to leave, he'd really like to have you guys. Well, that night I called him and I said, I know this is kind of abrupt, we're ready. No shit. Okay, Uh, I'll get back in touch with you. Stay by the phone. So I stayed by the phone. In about 10 minutes, he called back. He said, uh, you and Tully will have tickets at the airport at whatever time it was, 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. or something. You'll fly to uh, Newark or whatever airport it was. Vince will have a limo there to pick you up. He's going to bring you to his house. And uh, talk to you guys. You're all set. Okay, when Tully got in the next morning, uh, he had already had a message from me from the night before. I found out where he was staying. And I called him as soon as he got there. I want to say it might have been 11 o'clock because he had to have time to to fly and get there. It was like maybe 11 a.m. We're supposed to fly to Newark or wherever it was. And uh, we went out to uh, Vince's pool and sat around. He had lunch for us. And he had a unparalleled way of making you feel good about yourself in those days. He knew all the facts, figures, numbers, knew everything about your career, the whole thing. And basically just when we left there, we were floating off the ground. And he said, you know... Our one question was that was to him, "Hey, you know, I I know you don't do guaranteed contracts." He said, "No, I don't." We just kind of figure, "What kind of a spot do you have for us?" He said, "What did you make last year?" We told him. He said, "I guarantee you, you'll make more than that." Yeah, my word.
1: Mm. Well, that had to feel good. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah, everything was handshake deals, and uh, in those days. So we went back, went to the Marriott, and uh, killed whatever time we had, and when we got to the building, about an hour beforehand, we went in, and uh, I think it was probably just me. I don't really remember if Tully went in with me, but I went in, knocked on Dusty's door, went in, just went, uh, "Hey, hey, this is the hardest conversation I've ever had. I uh, appreciate everything you've done for me and my family, but uh, we're going to turn in our notice. And he's just kind of staring all of me like he, disbelief. I said, I'll put Bobby over. I'll do the honors to Bobby with that leg drop off the top. Not a problem. One, two, three in the middle. But we're going to finish up tonight. Okay. And I walked out, and we kind of found a locker room to ourselves, and we stayed there till time to go to the ring. And we went out and had our match and uh, did what I said I would do, and that finished us up. Mm. What a pop when Bobby got that one, two, three.
1: Now, here we go. So, Arn, I got something for you. I don't have the audio, but it's the video because the audio is so super sketchy. But we're in Philadelphia. It's the semi-main event of the evening. 6,532 people. And the Midnight Express get the win over the horseman. The finish is creative. It saw Stan pinned by Tully after the sing- slingshot suplex. And you were pinned by Bobby Eaton after the Alabama Jam. As you just spelled out to Dusty exactly what you wanted to happen. And you and Bobby were the legal men. So the pin counted for the Midnight Express. And they won the tag team champions, becoming the first team to hold both the U.S. and NWA tag team titles. So here we go. We have the finish, and this will be the final clip for this week. There were no TV cameras at this show, and this is a bootleg from a fan who snuck a video camera into the Philadelphia Civic Center. And this is the only footage that exists. It's tough to watch. It's poor video quality, but this is a historical piece of video that really shouldn't be allowed to exist. So we're going to watch it together, and uh, Arne, you can just kind of talk about it. There's no, there's no sound. Uh, but if you're an ad-free shows member, you're going to be able to see this exclusively here on the show. So here we go. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and cue it to it, and here you guys are. Bobby just rolled into the ring, and uh, is this the first time you're kind of seeing this bootleg video, Arn, of this ending of this uh, match? Never
3: seen it before.
1: Yeah. So this is the Philadelphia Civic Center. There you are on the outside of the ring holding up the four fingers. Tully's inside. And uh, it looks like, I think it looks to be Tommy Young out there making the count.
3: That would be Tommy.
1: Yep, and here comes Bobby into the ring. But this is, uh, I guess this is, your, this is your final match ever with, with Tully and Jim Crockett, right? Or WCW.
3: Yep. Yeah, this is it. This is the last time.
1: Big knee, he tags you in. You're the legal man now, and uh, here you come in, shot to the gut on Bobby. There he goes with that uh, that bulldog-like maneuver. Jim Cornette at ringside on one side. You can see him there. But, man, it's sketchy video, but it is kind of cool this guy was able to sneak a camera into the uh, arena for us.
3: Yeah, it was.
1: Yep. Uh, this is just the last few minutes here as we're going into the end. Sweet stand with the elbow to Telly coming off the ropes. And uh, there you are on the outside with Bobby mixing it up. But you're right, Arn. I think one thing I want you to pay attention to is the crowd. You won't hear them, but you'll see them uh, once you drop the titles to the Midnight Express.
3: They were expecting to have another double count out, double D- DQ, double DQ or something of that nature.
1: And there's Bobby. He set you up for it. You're laying in the middle of the ring. He's climbing to the top of the ropes. And there goes Tully for the slingshot. Alabama jam done. Slingshot suplex done. Double cover. Tommy Young right in the middle. One, two, three. And then he's going to go over and tell them the Midnight Express just won the match. Crowd's not sure yet. Just bringing back some memories for you.
3: Oh, yeah. Watch they, Tommy took the titles to them, that place. There it was, goes.
1: Look, there it is.
3: Look at that pop.
1: Look at the crowd. Bananas. Wow.
3: You know, I just remember laying there and I was thinking, well, my life has changed forever. We'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Talk about it a little bit after this. You and Telly just took the pen. What are you thinking, talking about your head back to the locker room? Take us through that.
3: Well, it just reaffirmed. We knew that we were the best team in the world. We knew that we were over and red hot as champions and as horsemen. And when you get a pop like that in your heels and you get beat for the titles, it means People are ready to see you get beat. And it means you're over. There's no, I mean, I don't want to be pompous and just say we're over, but we were over. Because you wouldn't get a reaction like that if we weren't. And uh, we came upstairs, we had our own locker room. Nobody came in except, you know, Tommy the referee. And uh, he kind of had a tear in his eye. And uh, that's really, we made sure we didn't see anybody that night. Uh, after the match, because I don't know what I would have said to anybody. Um, I feel like we kind of screwed Barry a little bit, JJ, and left them kind of on their own. Uh, because the reality is, once we left, Horseman never recaptured that glory.
1: That's exactly right.
3: It was it, never it, the same.
1: It was never the same. You go from the end of 85 to September 88 horseman ruled the nwa and jim crockett promotions looking back at this run you guys were cooking with peanut oil my friend business was white hot sellout after sellout still uh, mistakes made along the line that lead to the fall of crockett for the record two months later the crockett sold the company to ted turner final thoughts memories reflections or anything else you feel like sharing about the day the music died my friend
3: well, there's so many, so many what ifs and so many business mistakes. You know, as a performer, I don't know that we could have done any more than what we did to, ben- to benefit that company. I think it was a huge mistake to buy Bill Watts territory. It was a huge mistake to buy Kansas City. I mean, what were you really buying? It was two dead companies. And when you have other than I think what you bought with Bill Watts was just his syndicated time slots is really all you bought because the, comp- the territory was dead. And to try to go out there and run those towns, we could have done it off of TBS. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't need the syndicated shows. You know, that was the one huge mistake. Whatever he paid for those two territories, if you would have kept that in the slush fund keep that company operating. I think it was a huge mistake, which we can always look back on this, not to have any marketing, you know, can you imagine?
1: Action if, figures, t-shirts, all that good stuff too.
3: The guy up north was doing it. Why yeah. we wouldn't have just followed his lead and, and, you know, did the same thing. Cause if you combined all that and we would have had someone to sit down with a map that was in charge. And booked the towns where they made sense, where there were short jaunts, where we weren't skipping back and forth across halfway across the country. I just think that, that we made a lot of mistakes. That if anybody would have had just some knowledge of travel and all that, that would have helped us quite a bit too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what an incredible run for Jim Crockett. From 85 to your departure, you were part of something so special, Arn. You said it in your retirement speech. Uh, on Nitro in August of 97. Whether you love me or you hated me, know that when you purchased a ticket to watch Arn Anderson wrestle, you got everything I had that night. And uh, truly, before the company folded, a crocker got the best from Arn Anderson. And in a lot of people's opinions, they didn't recognize what they even had right in front of them, my friend. The Horseman could work, couldn't work, could work without you or Tully Blanchard. And uh, that's going to conclude us here for September 1988. What a pivotal month for you and your career. Uh, next week, it's you and Telly moving to the great uh, to, to the north and to the WWF, where you have a new boss, a new schedule, a new manager, and uh, the creation and the arrival of the Brainbusters. I know you'll be looking forward to talking all things uh, of your first month there in the WWF.
3: Well, like I said, I was grateful for the Crockett years. It, it benefited me financially for me and my family and i'm very thankful for that Uh, i'm still in charlotte north carolina it gave me a new home it did you know this is my home now and it feels like i've been here my entire life and uh i was just glad to be a part of it it was what i call the glory years
1: that's right like bruce springsteen said glory days there you
3: go and i believe it
1: yep and uh you know what all these years later we still people want to listen to it and talk about it and podcast and and then listen to this show to hear all about it man so it's just so cool how uh it's burnt uh you know so many fond memories in so many people's minds what you were able to accomplish back in those days so uh that's going to wrap us up for this week man i'm looking forward to uh hearing about what all happens that first month in the wwf so on behalf of the great Arn Anderson, the legend. Uh, this is Paul Bromwell. We're going to see it right back here next week again on Arn. Take care, everybody. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together,